Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can open your Bible with me. And parents, if you have Bibles, I invite you to open your Bible or read on the screen. And it's Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 to verse, uh, verse uh, 17. This is the word of the Lord. Here, there is not Greek and you, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Brother John. Thank you, Marvin, and thank you for the privilege of uh, being able to speak to you on this first Sunday of this new year of 2022. And Marvin, I wish I had known about that amazing New Year's Eve tradition you have in Latin America. <laughs> I would have put it into my sermon, but you've done it already, so that's just fine. But it is a privilege to be here, and uh, what a privilege to worship God, even though we're not able to be together, uh, but still to know that he is with us and that he is protecting us through all of what's happening these days. Well, let's just take a moment to, to bow before the Lord, uh, just to be silent for a moment, and to ask him to speak to us through his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit may rest upon us now as we approach the study of your holy word, and that he may make that word a living message to our souls. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, what will we wear? Back when I was first ordained, uh, that was a question that many people asked themselves every Sunday morning. Because in those days, people used to dress up for church. People would uh, make sure ties were straight, pants pressed, shoes polished, and uh, 
People would talk about putting on their Sunday best. Well, by and large, that kind of formality has more or less disappeared over the last 20 years or so, and I can't say that that's altogether a bad thing. So I find it interesting that in the few verses that we've read from the Bible this morning, the Apostle Paul stops to tell us how we in the church ought to be dressing. Of course, Paul is speaking not literally, but metaphorically. And he's not referring just to Sunday mornings, but to a whole way of life, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But before we get very far into this passage, I want us to look at the brief snapshot that Paul gives us of the church in Colossae in the opening verse, because it really was a truly remarkable collection of individuals. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, we are given a picture of the kind of people we might be likely to meet if we joined with the congregation in Colossae on a Sunday. There were Jew Greeks and Jews, barbarians, and by the way, here he doesn't mean literally what we do by barbarian, but people from distant lands whose native language was not Greek or Latin. And finally, there were the Scythians, who had migrated from the north shore of the Black Sea and who really were regarded by and large as crude, cruel, and uncultured people. And if that were not enough, there were both slaves and their masters all together in the same congregation, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ together. There they were, singing together, learning together, sharing in the Lord's Supper together, serving Christ together and proclaiming his good news together. And here we should pause for just a moment to note that what was true of the Christian community in Colossae was by and large true of the dozens of little clusters of believers that had begun to crop up all over the Roman Empire. It was a truly remarkable, dare I say, revolutionary phenomenon. Indeed, they'd already been accused of trying to turn the world upside down. Yet, while those differences were a source of strength and something to celebrate, they also brought with them some potential pitfalls. Indeed, some of those pitfalls were serious enough that they could easily have splintered Little Church into pieces. We see it happening as early as chapter 6 uh, in the book of Acts where a dispute arose over the assistance being given to the Jewish widows versus the Gentile widows. And much of the ink in Paul's letter, letters, I should say, and indeed in all the letters pretty well of the New Testament, was devoted to dealing with the cracks and divisions that cropped up and threatened to tear apart the fabric of the church. Now, Paul here in this passage is not suggesting that ethnicity and race, slavery and freedom, culture and heritage are unimportant or insignificant. Far from it. In fact, Paul frequently drew from his own background when the occasion demanded it. Besides, that variety is what gives the church its flavor, its richness. I was impressed when I was here a few weeks ago uh, when someone pointed out that I think were there 11 different nations uh, represented here at First Congregational that Sunday morning? 
Anyway, however many it was, I, I leaned over to my wife and I whispered, this is a church that has a future. Because that's what being part of Christ's body is all about. People from all kinds of backgrounds and nationalities with all kinds of ideas being brought together under the one Lord. But the problem for the Colossians was that they had allowed their differences to become sources of misunderstanding and annoyance. And that had led to being not entirely honest with one another and indeed even putting other people down. The situation had led to the point where people had, had begun to sense that they didn't have the freedom anymore to be who they really were. And as a result, they felt forced to wear a kind of costume. At this point, it's as though Paul turns around and opens up a closet full of amazing clothes. And he says to the Colossians, this is what you should be wearing. Take off those costumes you've been putting on and try these clothes on instead. What were those clothes? Paul lists them for us in verse 12. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. And every one of those qualities has a beauty all of its own. And I could give a sermon over to each one of them, but uh, I'm not going to. But Paul says, these, as beautiful as they are, are in fact only the underwear. For over all of them, we're to put on something that outshines and incorporates them all. And what is that? It's love. Let's be clear. When we talk about love, we're not talking about some kind of airy-fairy feeling. It's that very practical Christian word, agape. What one person has described as a steady direction of the will towards another's lasting good. Let me say that again. A steady direction of the will towards another's lasting good. That's what agape love is all about. It's the love with which God so loved the world. It's the love that led Jesus to give up his life for you and for me on the cross. It's the love that's been poured into our hearts through God's gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's the love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It is the love which when everything else will have passed away, will still abide. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying that as Christians, we can't have our differences. The New Testament is very clear about that. There are some issues over which we cannot compromise and when sadly we must choose to walk apart. Yet, I believe those issues are much rarer than we might think. And if we're willing to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and above all, love. Many of our differences will begin to have far less importance and become small by comparison. Well, at this point in the, par in the, in the, in the, in the chapter, Paul shifts our focus from what we might put on the outside of our lives to what is happening on the inside. In verse 15, 
He calls upon us to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I wonder, what do you think of uh, when you hear the word peace? Whenever I see it in New Testament, I think of what Jesus said to his followers at the Last Supper. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, at that point, Jesus was preparing his disciples for what would take place later that night, when he would be roughly dragged off by armed guards to await an unjust trial and a painful death on the cross. Their hearts must have been racing as those events unfolded uncontrollably around them. All they could do at that point was to cling to Jesus' promise, peace I give you. And in those times when nothing is going right and our lives seem to be spinning out of control, we can still bank on Jesus' promise today. However, the peace that Paul is writing about in our passage this morning isn't that kind of peace. It's something different. It's not so much internal peace as it is interpersonal peace. I don't believe there's anything quite as unbecoming as a church fight. In the fourth century, Athanasius got involved in a clash over the deity of Christ. In the 14th century, John Wycliffe caused controversy through his conviction that the Bible was the final authority on the truth about God. In the 16th century, Martin Luther became embroiled in a dispute over the question of salvation by faith. In the 18th century, William Wilberforce in England and John Woolman in the United States engaged in a battle uh, for the abolition of slavery. Now I want to say that these are issues worth fighting for. But do you notice how frequently they happened? <laughs> it was only once every several centuries. Disputes like these are rare, and they make the clashes that happen in far too many churches today seem insignificant and ridiculous by comparison. And why? Because for the most part, they are insignificant and they are ridiculous. But the damage they can do is incalculable. And the result so often is that people end up leaving the Christian community altogether, while those on the outside see church people as fractious and combative. And in either case, the devil could not be more delighted. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus tells us, for they will be called children of God. If we take Jesus' words seriously, we realize that peace doesn't just happen. Peace takes effort. Peace has to be made. It requires humility and a willingness to swallow our pride. We may not always be successful, but at the same time, let us remember that we follow one who brought about our peace at the cost of his life through his blood shed on the cross.
Well, besides love, besides peace, I should say, there's something else that Paul calls us to carry inside us, and that is the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he challenges us in verse 16. And the word he uses for richly there means fully or abundantly, overflowingly. One translation of this verse runs, be at home in the gospel story and let it be at home in you so that it may always be ready for use. Sometime later, Paul would tell his young apprentice Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the messenger of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I'm impressed, uh, as Jason announced earlier this morning, that a number of you have taken on the challenge of reading through the whole of the Bible in the course of a year. But I trust that you won't just do it in a mechanical fashion. So 12 months from now, after you've finally finished the, the last chapter of Revelation, you can just slam your Bible shut and, uh, and forget about it. Pat yourself on the back and say, well, I've done it now. No, each time you open your Bible, ask the Holy Spirit to be your teacher and take time to let its words sink in and be absorbed into who you are on a daily basis. In my own Anglican tradition, we have a beautiful prayer that calls upon us to hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the scriptures. That means we need to be able to take in the Bible's message with all our senses, to allow that message to reach down deep within us and to penetrate into our being in a whole variety of ways. On Sunday morning, through the proclamation of God's word uh, from the pulpit, and as we sing it in worship and carry those little earworms with us uh, throughout the rest of the week. In small groups, where we can reflect on it uh, with other believers and hear and learn from their experience. In making the effort to commit portions of it to memory, so that if you're anything like me, you'll find those verses popping back up into your mind in your daily walk. I can still remember the first Bible verse I ever memorized, not many months after I committed my life to Christ as a teenager. They were Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11. And they were in the old King James translation. They run like this. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Well, may God's word be hidden in your heart. Perhaps like the crocuses that I planted in my garden uh, several months ago. A few months from now, just when I'm beginning to wonder if they'll ever come through or anything will ever happen, whether spring will ever arrive, they will poke up through the surface of the ground and burst into bloom. And the same is true of God's word as we plant it deep in our hearts. It will surely bring beauty and meaning into our lives, often at those times when we need it most. So, 
what will we wear? As this new year begins, I challenge you to take a look at the spiritual wardrobe that God has graciously provided for us in his Son, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. As each day begins, clothe yourselves with those beautiful and lasting garments of compassion, kindness, meekness, humility, patience, and forgiveness. But above them all, may you put on that most excellent gift of love, the love that is ours in Jesus. And as you do so, may the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you seek to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and to serve the Lord Jesus throughout this year of 2022. Let's take a moment once again to pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the gift of this new year. But thank you even more for the spiritual clothing that you have provided us with through the Holy Spirit. And I pray that each day we may dress ourselves in those beautiful robes which you provide us, and that your word may dwell in us richly, day by day, for the glory of Christ our Lord. Amen. And now, dear brothers and sisters,